our worship service, we have teaching time, and we're entering that teaching time right now. And um, we, uh, we're studying the parables of Jesus. We're, we're learning that there, there, it's not just, um, it's not just uh, uh, earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. We're, we're, we're tightening the language up, and we're saying that the parables that Christ told are earthly stories about heavenly realities. Realities. Jesus uses everyday events and stories to convey the actualities of his home. How do you describe home to people who have who've never been there? How do you what kind of language do you use? And what's heaven like? And so Jesus says, well, uh, heaven's like a farmer sowing seed. Uh, heaven is like a man who had two sons. Heaven's like a widow beating on the door of a judge demanding justice. Heaven is like a certain man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Ah, from Jerusalem to Jericho. What reality is, what reality is that? That's, that's, that's the parable of the good Samaritan, yeah, yeah. yeah that, that you would just finish my sentence tells me that that's a very familiar parable, not just in our church family, but also in culture, right? I mean, we have, we have hospitals, Good Samaritan Hospital, right? And uh, if your car won't start and it's winter or your tire goes flat and someone comes along and offers to help, what do we call that person? We're the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan, yeah. So, so to us 21st century Americans, that's a positive term, isn't it? Good Samaritan. It's, just a, it's kind of a warm feeling here. Yeah. Not 2,000 years ago. Not 2,000 years ago. No, no. Now, in fact, I want to show you a picture that I think comes close to explaining Good Samaritan. You can see it there. Yeah. That's what's going on in the world right now. Okay. That's what's going on in the world right now. That clarifies the significance of this parable that we're about to see. Yeah. And I'm wondering if Jesus had lived today, he might have named this the parable of the good Palestinian. Or if he were in Gaza, the parable of the good Israeli. See, don't get up and leave. We got to feel this. If in Ukraine, the parable of the good Russian. See, we're not, we're not getting to the heart of what we're about to read unless we, unless we feel it. That Samaritan wasn't warm and fuzzy. Samaritan meant a hated enemy, not a, not a do-gooder. See, Are you with me? Yeah. Well, then meet me in Ma uh, Luke, rather, chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 
to 37. You'll find that on page 869 of your church Bibles. The church Bibles are in the tray below you there. And I want you to hear these words from the word. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he, that is Jesus, said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, he bound up his wounds pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is God's word. Amen. Yeah. Do you feel it? Do you feel it? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Oh, this is just more than just a moral story. You know, if you see a guy in a ditch, give him a hand. Well, yeah. Of course, I mean, we're Midwesterners. We get that, right? Yeah. But we're going to have to go deeper. We're going to have to go deeper. And in order to go deeper, I would, I would ask us to consider the context of this. This parable just doesn't come out of nowhere. It comes out of a particular context. So, so here's, here's where we're going this morning. I want us to consider the context, and then I want us to consider three key questions. Context, three key questions. We're going we're to consider a trick question. 
we're going to consider a self-justifying question, and then we're going to consider the true question. That's where we're going today. Let's first consider the context. The context, the, the stage is set for this parable in Luke chapter 10 by looking at Luke chapter 9. So if you're in your church Bibles, just glance over to page 868, and you can see that it says in, in 951, 951, Luke 9, verse 51, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. So Jesus is preparing for the cross. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world will at last give his life, sacrifice his life. He will provide salvation in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and glory for the people of Israel. Jesus is ready to die on the cross, and he's making his way to Jerusalem. So, But to get to Jerusalem, he chooses to go through Samaria. Samaria. And he sends his disciples ahead to Samaria. He wants to lodge there on his way, make preparations there. And as you can see in Luke chapter 9, verses 52 and 53, as he sent messengers ahead of them, the Samaritans said, over our dead body. Not going to happen. 9.53 says, but the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. If you're going to Jerusalem, you're not welcome here. If your face is set to Jerusalem, you're against us. So get out and stay out. That's part of the context here. (laughs) I mean, think about this for just a minute. So so the Jewish authorities had already rejected Jesus for associating with Samaritans, and now the Samaritans reject him. So, So even outsiders can act like insiders. And if you keep reading there in 9, verses 54 and 55, um, James and John had a solution. Lord, shall we call down fire from heaven and burn him up, Lord? Come on, just like Elijah. Ah, Clearly, they had skipped my class on being unoffendable. (laughs) Jesus rebukes them. No, what's the matter with you? No, no. And then keep going. In chapter 10, Jesus sends the disciples out two by two. Right? In 36 preaching teams, 72 go out two by two. And, and they went out and, and they went to the various towns and they, they proclaimed the gospel. They did the mighty works of, of God. And then when they returned, they came back with joy. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And, and Jesus, Jesus rejoiced too. He rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. He rejoiced saying, I don't want you, I don't want you to rejoice over the fact that the demons are subject uh, to, to, to my name out of your mouth. I want you to rejoice more than anything else. I, I, want you, I don't want you to rejoice in that kind of ministry success. Here's what I want you to rejoice in. You rejoice that your name is written in heaven. That's what I want you to rejoice about. That's what makes life, life. 
that your name is written in heaven. The preaching and the teaching and the mighty works of God were merely the front lines of the breaking in of the kingdom of God. There's a new global reality that's appearing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And in the book of Acts, we will read how that began in Jerusalem and then expanded to Judea and Samaria and then to the end of the world. Oh, yes. The kingdom is coming in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus blessed their privileged eyes is what he says as chapter 10 proceeds in verse 23. He says all the Israel's prophets and kings long to see and hear what you are seeing and hearing. God be praised. God be praised. God's kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah, yeah, amen. Verse 25, and behold, there we go. Behold a lawyer. Behold a lawyer. Lawyer. It's not, it's, it's, it's not the way we use the term he wasn't in secular law. He was a religious lawyer. He was a theologian. He was a seminary professor. He stood up. Behold, the lawyer stood. Why? Why? Because in those days, students would sit out of respect for the rabbi, and then they'd stand when they have a question. Yeah. Yeah. But, but this teacher of the law did not stand so that he might learn or seek understanding, rather he stood to do what? What's the text say? What's the text say? To test. To test him. He's, he's, he want, he's looking for Jesus to slip up. He, he wants Jesus to slip up so that he can accuse him. So it's, a, so it's a trick question. It's not an honest question. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You've got to know the context to understand that it's a trick question. But that's even, it's an odd trick question. Because typically heirs don't do anything to inherit something, right? It's because of their identity that they're heirs. Inheritance is a gift. And so like a good rabbi, like a good rabbi, Jesus puts the ball back in his court with a question. By the way, this entire section can be organized with question, question, Answer, answer, question, story, question, answer, answer. That's what's going on here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus answers a question with, with a question. Well, verse 26, what's in the law? Jesus says, how do you read it? To which the lawyer recites the Shema, Shema, hear, hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord, he is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The Shema, it's the first word of this, uh, of this beautiful verse in Deuteronomy 6. Hear, Shema, hear, hear, O Israel. Deuteronomy 6, love God. Deut Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as 
yourself. The whole law hangs on these two commands, loving God, loving people. That's the lawyer's response. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly, verse 28, do, do this and you will live, Jesus says. And then the trick question becomes a self-justifying question. You see it there? Verse 29. The lawyer wished to justify himself. Justify himself. And who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Now, now where'd that question come from? Huh? Where'd that come from? Well, 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 he realized that Jesus had cornered him into an indefensible position. The, the, the lawyer realized that if he claimed to love God, then he should also love his neighbor too. He was the one who's just said it. Otherwise, if, he not, if not, he's a hypocrite. He, he realized that if he declared to love his neighbor as himself, someone might ask, well, where's the proof? And the lawyer started to squirm. He started to squirm. So, so, so he claimed that the law lacked clarity. Yeah, so who's my neighbor? Jesus, define neighbor. I want you to define neighbor. So in defining neighbor, that will also define who is a non-neighbor, which will then tell me who I don't have to love. Those lawyers. Uh, but remember, he's of my ilk. <laughs> yeah, he's a religious lawyer. He's a pastor. He's a seminarian. He's a professor. He's a theologian. The lawyer wants Jesus to interpret the law as to the kinds of people Jesus would exclude from his love. And that's when Christ told the story. Huh. I knew a man who was once traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a, it's a familiar road. It's a familiar. There, there's a version of it uh, in Israel today. It, 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 it's 17 miles, but it's not flat. All right? We're not in East Central Illinois. Uh, in, in, in those 17 miles, the altitude drops around 3,500 feet. Huge. Yeah, yeah. Let's go on, Let's go on that hike, Bob. All right? Yeah, 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 think of walking from Champaign to Ogden, around 17 miles, and the drop being uh, 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 over a half a mile deep. So Jericho's below sea level at that point. It's a winding, curving, undulating path. There are corners and crevices. There are sinister people hiding out. They're waiting, they're waiting, they're waiting for this man. He fell among robbers who beat him unconscious, who stole his valuables, who ripped off his clothing, who left him unrecognizable. What, what ethnicity was he? Well, the text doesn't say. Was he Jewish? Was he Gentile? Was he Palestinian? Was he American? We don't know. It doesn't say. He has no identity markers. He's invisible. He's invisible. He needs help. He's half dead, and soon he'll be all dead. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, 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 wait. Look, 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 look. Look, someone's coming. Someone's coming. Oh, a priest. Ah, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, clergy. 
clergy, God be praised, God be praised. Surely the clergy will help. Surely the clergy will help. He's going to help. He's going to wait. What are you doing? Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Come back, come back, come back, back. He's dying. He's dying. You're clergy. He's dying. You're clergy. He's dying. Verse 31. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Oh, my goodness. Commentaries are filled with answers to that question. Why would he do that? We're not told. The text doesn't say, so let's just leave it at that. He just didn't. That's why. He, ju he just walked on. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, wait, 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 wait. Maybe someone else will come and help. Yeah, no, there. Oh, thank you, God, thank you. Oh, it's a Levite. It's a Levite. Now, what's the difference between a priest and a Levite? Here it is, here it is. All priests were Levites, all priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests, okay? Yeah, so, so the Levites were like the temple assistants. They helped the priests do temple service. And like the priest, the Levite sees the half-dead man and keeps on going. <sighs> what? 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, if you're a listener to that parable when it was first told, who do you think's coming next? Someone's coming next. Who do you think's coming next, huh? Yeah, who's that third person? Who's that third person? Well, the Levites and the priests, I mean, the religious class, they, they, they were of no help. They were of no help. They're, I mean, you know, who, who are the good guys in this story? the good guys you're listening in on this i know i know the farmers the farmers of course the farmers because they're people of the soil they got pure hearts this peasant farmer was traveling from from jerusalem to jericho after his visit to the temple he's going to find this guy he's going to help this guy farmers do that farmers do that yes 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 only that's not how Jesus tells it, right? Verse 33, but a Samaritan, but a Samaritan. What, what? A Samaritan, historic enemies of Israel, people who had mingled with the Assyrians centuries before, and they were in this they were in this land north of Jerusalem. And, oh, there was no love lost between the two people groups. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah, remember in John 4, when Jesus asks the woman at the well, a Samaritan, for a drink? Huh? Yeah, she said, she said to Jesus, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. And then John says this. John says this in John 4, 9. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. No dealings. No dealings. That's what the text says. Not even a cup of water in the heat of the day. Can you imagine refusing someone something as small and life-sustaining as water simply because of their ethnicity? Sadly, we don't need a lot of imagination about that in America, do we? 
in his book From Every People and Nation, A Biblical Theology of Race, author J. Daniel Hayes wrote, The ethnic and cultural boundary between the Jews and the Samaritans was every bit as rigid and hostile as the current boundary between blacks and whites in the most racist areas of the United States. In Jesus' parable, the priest went down the road, the Levite came to the place, but the Samaritan approached the man. Verse 33, as he journeyed, he came to where he was, and when he saw him, he was filled with splanknon. Splanknon. He had splanknon, verse 33. Splanknon. Can you hear the word spleen? Splanknon. Yeah, it refers to your guts. He saw the man, and he felt his gut. As a verb, it means our guts churn, our stomach stirs. The, the ancients held that the seat of your emotions resided, oh, not up here in the, in the heart, but in the gut. In the gut, why do you feel butterflies? Why do you feel butterflies? Why do you, why do you feel that pit in your stomach? Why, why do you feel compassion? Why? Because it's your gut talking, that's why. Yeah, yeah. And the Samaritan didn't just see something he felt something he felt it he felt it but he didn't just see it and feel it it's not enough he took action he did something verse 34 he went to the man in the ditch the samaritan took action he bandaged the man's wounds he anointed him with oil and wine, the wine as an astringent and the oil as salve. He anoints him with oil and, and wine. And don't miss that these two elements are symbols of temple worship. He put the man on his own animals, thus sacrificing whatever vision of a pleasant journey he was going to have. He checks in at the end. He personally cares for him the whole night. He hadn't planned on doing that, but that's what he did. And verse 35 says, then the next day he paid the innkeeper, take care of him. Take, here's two weeks worth of help. Here's two weeks worth of help. And if you need more, put it on my tab. When I return, the text says, I will repay. I, not the man, don't take anything from him. He didn't have anything anyway. I will repay. I will repay. Do you see what's going on here? See the contrast? The, the robbers beat him. The Samaritans cleansed his wounds. The robbers took from him. The Samaritan cared for him at his own expense. The robbers left him half dead. The Samaritan kept him alive. The priest passed over on the other side. The Samaritan put his arm around him. The ordained priest disregarded the healing elements of temple, oil, and wine. The unordained Samaritan put those elements to the service of healing. Both robbers and priests withheld mercy, but the Samaritan, a sworn enemy, gave mercy. You see that? And that takes us to the true question. Question, question, answer, answer, question, parable, question. Here's the question, verse 36. Then Jesus said, 
Which of these three, in your opinion, professor, proved to be a neighbor to the guy in the ditch? That's the true question. That's the, do you see what Jesus just did? Do you see what he just did? He flipped the question. So the issue is no longer about what kind of man is dying. Rather, it's about what kind of people are walking by. Who is my neighbor? Bad question. That's a bad question. Jesus will not answer that question. See, so the lawyer wanted to justify the boundaries of the word neighbor. You know, Jesus, I want to know who the insider is. Well, I mean, I think I am, but who else? And Jesus refuses, and he asks the man the better question. Who are you? Who are you? What kind of person are you? What kind of neighbor are you? When you're done trying to define neighbor, the decisive question remains, what kind of person am I? Am I the kind of person who can feel compassion over an historic enemy? What, what, what does compassion look like to whoever comes my way? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, let me just give you some examples, all right? And so I'm, I'm sharing you some of these examples. Often our mind just immediately goes to North Prospect, folks with cardboard signs. Okay, well, let's talk about that for a minute. If, if, if I'm at North Prospect, having lunch with some brothers, um, we go yesterday, and I'm at the stoplight, and there he is with the cardboard. And thank God, um, I was taught, I was taught, this didn't come on my own. Someone taught me. Here's how you be, be prepared, Randy. So I, I, I keep some Panera cards or McDonald's cards, and in the few moments, going out the window, Acknowledge the presence of this image bearer. Here's some lunch. He says, I hear they have good soup there. They do. You will enjoy some, please. Green light. I got to go. Okay. Right? Uh, our small group some time ago had an evening where we put together emergency packs. Just, just gallon Ziploc bags full of snacks and hand wipes and lip balm. Something, something. Dried fruit, peanut butter and crackers, sunscreen, lotion, bandages, water and sports drink. That's an idea. That's an idea. Maybe somebody needs their leaves raked this week. Maybe somebody else needs help with their homework. Maybe someone needs a ride. Maybe someone needs your time just to sit and be present in their suffering. But remember, these folks may not be Samaritans to you. But maybe your former is. And your former needs you to begin the process of forgiveness. The process. The process of forgiveness. You know, it's good to ask God to bring the nations to Christ. 
it's better to ask him to do that while knowing the name of your next door neighbor. They just, can we just cut through the fog with this simple prayer? Lord, what kind of neighbor do you want me to be to the people in my life? How, how can I be heaven's light? How can I be your life, Christ's love to them? It's, how can I be a, prepared with the disposition of just loving others and in doing so, showing that I love you? This is an earthly story about heaven's reality, and the reality is this. The Samaritan's display of love was more Israelite than Israel's priest. That's why Paul said in Romans 9, 6, not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. So, so there is a way of being Israel that is closer to the core of the Shema. Yeah. So when you see someone in need, don't ask if, if he's your neighbor. Instead, ask, how can I be his neighbor? There it is. There's our big idea. In Jesus' name, be a neighbor in another's need. There it is. In Jesus' name, be a neighbor in another's need. I, I, my mind goes to Tim Keller, the late Tim Keller, who wrote a fantastic book called Generous Justice. Generous Justice. And he wrote in, those, in that book, we instinctively tend to limit for whom we exert ourselves. We do it for people like us and for people whom we like. Jesus will have none of that. By depicting a Samaritan helping a Jew, Jesus could not have found a more forceful way to say that anyone at all in need, regardless of race, politics, class, or religion, that person is your neighbor. Not everybody may be your brother and sister in faith, but everyone is your neighbor and you must love your neighbor. And then this parable belongs in Luke's bigger picture of, of, of his writings. Remember, Luke gave us the Gospel of Luke and, and the book of Acts. And six times in those two books, some major episodes about Samaria appear. Six times. What's the point? I'm persuaded, church family, that it's because Luke wants us to see the enduring power of the Gospel to reconcile hostile peoples. He wants us to believe that despite how futile and frustrating the pursuit of racial harmony feels, God really can do for us what he did for them. Do you believe that? And why? Because of the identity of the true Good Samaritan. Yeah, I'm, I'm about ready to sit down. But I want to tell you this. Just so you know, Jesus never calls him the Good Samaritan. Hmm. Why? Because ultimately, church family, when you read the gospel, you realize that Jesus is the true Good Samaritan. Man, I was lying dead in a ditch. I wasn't half dead, I was dead. You were dead in your sins. And Jesus came along, and when nobody else, nobody else would stop. He took me up, and he carried me, and he paid my bill. And not just the short term, 
but the long term so that I would not be enslaved. That man would have been a slave for the rest of his life because he had nothing left. He would have to sold himself into slavery to pay off the innkeeper, and that's me, and I'm here to tell you, Jesus paid my debt, and that's why I can stand up here and preach. That's why I can be your pastor. I'm not the good Samaritan, but I've been saved by the good Samaritan, the ultimate Samaritan, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So I just say, now, Lord, what what do you want me to do? How can I say thank you? How can I say thank you? And he says, Randy, I want you to just take up your cross daily and follow me. See, see, St. Peter said this in 1 Peter 2, 21. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Oh, to be a church family who is so confident in Christ's promises that their names are written in heaven, that we serve selflessly and self-forgetfully follow him. We can sing. We can dance. We can shake the tambourine. We can shout, holy, 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 because of what Jesus has done. And when we follow him, not because we're trying to justify ourselves, but because God justified us by grace through faith in the death, burial, and resurrection in Christ. Let me tell you something. If you're in Christ, the most important thing about you is that your name is written in heaven. Now then, now then, In Jesus' name, be a neighbor in someone's need. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father.